Welcome to Divine Throughline. I'm Ma Ananda Srimati, sometimes known as Julie Pyatt, and I'm here to share with you perspectives and musings on what it really means to live life divine. Thanks so much for joining me. On episode 30, I'm so psyched to welcome my soulmate, my love, my reason for podcasting, the reason this exists at all, Mr. Ritual. This is episode 30. Yes. <laughs> so I've, I've was so influential and instrumental in your podcasting journey that it took you 30 episodes before you invited me on. Things have been moving so quickly. Yeah, I just can't believe it. You were on like my first episode. Oh, sweetie. And, but you, and I'm, how do I not take this personally? Did you know 30 is a very special number? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. I forgot what no. podcast I'm on. Well, I mean, a lot of that... Why was that? I wonder why that sort of happened that way. I think the reason that it did... In the beginning, as you were traveling and had a crazy schedule, and I didn't no, even—you didn't ask. I never asked. Is no, that what you happened? Didn't ask. Well, I don't know. We were getting into, you know, we were—we were, we were going to do. We were this rolling like a our week sleeves ago. up. Yeah. So you would have been on episode twenty-nine yeah, <laughs> instead right, of okay, episode thirty. Well, I'm really glad you're here, and um, like I said, I have you to thank for. Uh, being for introducing me to the world of podcasting and introducing me to all the amazing uh, things that can happen uh, as a result of having this medium to express ourselves. And it's quite extraordinary. And I really, really, really think it's amazing. And I value this immensely. So thank you, Rich, for showing me that. Thank and including me, me on your show. I appreciate Thank you for that. for having me on your show. So it's exciting for me today because I've been feeling that, like, I don't know if you know this, and I don't know if we've spoken about it off the air, but I think I'm going to take this time to speak to you on the air. I feel like you and me were at kind of a really important uh, time in our relationship and that we're getting ready to go into something that's a lot deeper than, hold on one sec, I got to answer this. Hello? It's Mathis. <laughs> Hi, honey. Okay, well, listen, I'm recording a podcast right now, so I will call you back when Daddy and I are done. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye, Mathis. <laughs> She's funny. Okay. So um, what I was saying is I think you and I are on the verge of, of stepping into yet another kind of season of our relationship or experience of our relationship. And... I really feel the spiritual part of it deepening and um, expanding and coming into possibly a relationship that neither one of us even knew existed before. And uh, so are you feeling that too? Does this have anything to do with the fact that I'm sleeping in a tent <laughs> on the roof? Possibly. Or, or these Could. unrelated? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you tell you know, me. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, you know, relationships always are ebbing and flowing and expanding and contracting. There's no stasis in a relationship. And yeah, I think we're entering a new phase. We've been together for, you know, 17 years or however long it's been at this point. Um, you know, I'm turning 50 and, you know, we're just at, we're at a different age in our relationship. I think it's natural and, <clears throat> and uh, you know, to be expected that our relationship would continue to evolve into a different way. But yeah, I think we're entering into a different phase of our lives. And that then brings up, you know, a different way that we interact. I think the, the, the thing for us is that because we're getting so busy, and we have so many opportunities, and all these seeds that we've been planting for the last 10 years are now 
starting to, you know, uh, bloom, uh, that it's easy to get caught up in our work relationship. And we have to be more conscious about having boundaries around that so that not every interaction that we have is a function of some project that we're working on. Yeah, that's true. It's challenging too, because there's only so many hours in the day and uh, a lot of stuff is moving very, very quickly. And there's a lot of that going on. But I guess what I'm speaking to is uh, an energetic feeling or a vibration that there is uh, a deeper awareness and a a deeper experience that you and I are going to access within ourselves, which is going to shift the way that we interact with each other. And so I've been uh, feeling a lot uh, uh, around the dismantling experience that we went through, um, the nine-year dark night spiritual journey that you and I weathered um, as lovers, as partners, as teammates, and of parents to our four kids. And uh, I was wondering, I don't really think that anybody's really asked you about the deeper spiritual aspects of that time. And uh, I wanted to kind of explore that a little bit and kind of go down memory lane and remember what it felt like to be so viscerally out on the edge with you know, not knowing if we were going to survive, quite frankly. And, you know, I talk a lot about my faith and how that kept me strong and sure and able to go through those, those times and persevere and pick myself up again and again and again. But tell me, what was it like for you? And how did you find your spiritual voice in that time? And uh, what what were the feelings and what were the experiences for you? And I guess what I'm trying to uh, connect with you over is, you know, those times during the dismantle when we really didn't know if we were going to survive. We didn't really know if our choices were going to, in fact, pan out. And, you know, sometimes I think back, it wasn't really that long ago. Things started to shift maybe three years for, for us and our family. But, you know, I wanted to talk to you about Um, remembering some of those times when we were very bare and very raw and very vulnerable, because I think it's very, very uh, key and important for us to remember that as we travel down this very different experience that we're in right now um, at the present time. So I just wanted to ask you your perspective about that. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think thinking back on it, first of all, I have to really think hard because I've worked hard to kind of move past that, you know, time in my life. It's not a pleasant memory. Well, there's a lot of pleasant aspects to it, but there's also a lot of pain. And I think that the main thing is that there is no one way that like I experienced or felt about it as we went through it. It was constantly shifting. I mean, there were times where I had tremendous faith and I could see, you know, that this was the only path for us and it didn't matter. And somehow we were going to survive and find our way through and it was all going to work out. And then other times I had a crisis of faith and it was your faith that I had to hold on to in order to just make it through the day. Um, There were times of, you know, complete confusion and despair. I'd be out on my bike thinking, what the fuck am I doing? This is insane. You know, I should be hustling and getting a job at another law firm or, you know, anything except what I was doing. Um, and, And really being very, very unsure about what was going to happen. And then there were days where I would be, it was almost like a, not like a, I mean, it was somewhere in between giving up and surrender where it would be, it would be weird because on paper, like everything was an absolute disaster and I would get up and I wouldn't even think about it. And I would just go about my day, like stress-free, like some days the stress was unbearable. And then other days I'd be like, oh yeah, like we're probably going to get booted out of our house. So, oh, I'm just going to go ride my bike. Like, how are you doing? Hey, how's it going? And like, I wouldn't think about it. And then I'd think I was crazy or there was something wrong with me that I wasn't more in touch with. Like I was, like I was in denial, you know, I'm like, am I in denial or am I in just total surrender and acceptance? Because there's a fine line between those two things. Like if I'm, if I'm not in denial, then shouldn't I be really panicked about this? Mm-hmm. But if I'm not panicked about it and I'm aware of what's going on, then isn't that surrender? And not knowing which one of those places I stood mm-hmm. was, a, I think, was a, a habitual kind of experience for me. So I guess what I'm saying is that it would vacillate from panic and anxiety and sleepless nights 
to, you know, to periods of total peace. But there was a lot of confusion and there was a lot of, I mean, the level of like stress and pressure that we were carrying on a sort of a subconscious, like low level subliminal way, you know, every single day for that extremely long period of time, I think, uh, is something maybe you're more in touch with than I am. Like you carried a lot more of it, I think, than I did. Like mm-hmm. you were giving me permission to go on this journey and you were really kind of holding space in the home. But like when it finally all worked out with the house and you could release that, it was almost like the catharsis of a lifetime. Like you were letting go like all this strain and this pressure and, and, and tension that had just been building up, building up for like the better part of a decade. Yeah. Like when I, when I got the phone call from the bank, um, it was quite interesting because it was the end of, of a very long period, almost five years where we were unable to pay our mortgage, property taxes, or home insurance, right? Uh, um, among every other bill that existed. But um, I, the house was put in foreclosure on July 18th, 2012. And then I fought that um, with the help from the universe <laughs> and uh, I received the modification on the house on July 18th, 2013. So for an entire year, I kept the house off the auction block. Every month, I would go for a new scenario or, you know, do some ceremony or, you know, the, the elements were just falling in my favor. But yeah, when I got that call and he, and he said those words to me, he said, I wanted to be the first to tell you that we've accepted your modification. I, I think I cried spontaneously and fell to the floor i remember that it was but i think the other thing that's important to to point out about it is that irrespective of everything that was kind of happening and falling away whether it was cars getting repossessed and bills that would go unpaid and you know we couldn't even pay our our bill to have our garbage picked up so they took away our bins and then we would have to put our garbage in the back of the car and then find like, you know, find like big garbage bins around town that we could dump them in. And that's like humiliating, you know, it's Beyond, really humiliating. very much. You were always very open. You'd be like, yeah, we're in foreclosure. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, you'd tell people and I would be kind of shocked. I'd be like, why are you, you know, I come from a very different culture and place of like, you don't talk about that stuff. Like that's highly, highly embarrassing. You're admitting weakness. That's a shameful, it's a shameful thing. For me as a man to be in that position and feel like I can't take care of this problem, I'm unable to solve this problem, and here we are, and I'm failing my family. Like it's, you know, that's. So I, I was not going around going, hey, guess what? Here's what's really going on in our house. Well, you know? I was man, I was navigating the whole process, and I was learning an extreme amount, and I was, it, from my perspective, from a spiritual perspective, I was participating in dismantling part of that system, which is patriarchal, which is preying on humans and, you know, creating a lot of disease and a lot of hurt and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, you know, I don't know, it was my spiritual perspective of having that, like, I took it as a spiritual challenge. I didn't, I didn't allow it to be um, like, to describe me to define me, I didn't allow myself to attach to shame about it. I had no shame about it. I knew that we were going through this for a reason. Now that didn't mean that it wasn't excruciatingly difficult at times. It was. And that friction that you that you describe as stress, for me, it was literally the alchemical process of being transformed into something purer beyond. And so it was a, a necessary process to go through to be really alchemized, to in fact be able to be the way showers or the healers or to hold a light down the path, maybe in a little different, you know, point in time than other people that are coming up through the same thing. But I have to say that during those times, I mean, you know, uh, after, you know, your Ultraman races, you know, you were completely stripped down of any personality pretense or anything, anything that was hiding you from your soul. And in those moments, you know, I really, really saw you as your expanded self, as your spiritual self. And I guess um, one of the reasons that I think it's a value to, to talk about this and, and share this is in addition to readers 
having or listeners having written in and asked like, well, how do you know, you know, it's a dismantle or how do you know the difference between denial and surrender? You know, how do you know? Um, I think it's important that we remember what it was like because it's very, very easy to slip into habit or slip into, you know, suddenly, you know, everything's taken care of and the spiritual perspective flies out and you're only focused on your phone or your emails or the very basic things of life where the truth of the matter is you and I both know the only reason we're sitting here at all today talking on this show is by the grace of God. That's the only way because there, there were times where we just didn't know if every single decision we had made was a misstep. And so, you know, there's a beauty in this process. There is a beauty in breaking down in the dismantling and, uh, you know, I want to ask you, I mean, why do you think it was that our family bonded together? Like, why do you think you and I bonded together when we suffered this extreme financial collapse while other people, when they go through this, it's the very thing that breaks them apart. What do you think was unique about us? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was meant to happen that way, you know, and it's easy to do that math when you look retroactively backwards. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question other than that, you know, there's some kind of, you know, divine hand at play that we can't see, you know, there, there had to be some reason because we couldn't see our way out of where we were and there was no logical path to extricate us out of the situation that we were in. Even if, even had I gone back and practiced law in a law firm, it still wasn't going to solve the problem. And, you know, honestly, I mean, from my perspective, it was your belief that many, you know, for a large part of it was the only thing that I could hang on to because you were able to like hold that space because left to my own devices, I would have just caved. You know, mm-hmm. I would have like crumbled under the pressure. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been going and racing Ultramans. I would have been scrambling, trying to find a way to solve the problem in the 3D world. In the traditional sense. So, you know, I don't know why it bonded us together. We couldn't have foreseen that. It, mm-hmm. it would have split most people up. And, you know, uh, it was a situation in which everybody was basically telling us or inferring, you know, that we were insane. <laughs> You know, that what are you doing? Like, not always like, hey, you're crazy, but just kind of like, oops, people started to keep their distance a little bit, or they would say something. It was just the way you, you could tell, like, it's the way someone would look at you funny or something like that. There was a lot of that. Like, it wasn't like suddenly our friends ran for the hills, but there was a little bit of like, oh, you sure you want to go that direction? Okay. You know, like, yeah, well, there was a, like that. Mm-hmm, there was a lot of that. And there was a lot of also, I think, uh, you know, men, you know, some of our male friends would, would approach me at different times and say, you know, well, we, you know, we, we really think this is unfair or that you're under too much pressure. And then of course I would open my mouth and, and tell them my perspective on it, which, you know, which was, this was exactly what you needed to be doing. And I was the one that was telling you to do it, you know, like from the outside looking in, I had a couple comments come my way of, Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to be a, a cycling widow or a triathlon. What do they call it? Triathlete widow, widow right. triathlon widow or whatever. And I just was like, I don't have that expect that, that perspective at all whatsoever. But what I did know, and it was funny because I shared this during the meeting because Um, you know, different members of our community are going through different things. And, you know, everybody's asking sort of the deeper questions of, you know, how do you become self-sustaining doing what you love? Like, how does that, how does that happen? And the only thing that I can say is that going through a dismantling is a very, very specific frequency. And maybe the reason that it's up for me is I'm writing about it now in my own memoir, but um, it's, um, and I'm revisiting these experiences. Have you defined for your audience what a dismantling is? Yeah, so, so a, yeah, so dismantling is, is what I call it. It's, it's a, it, it can be a financial collapse, but it could also be a health crisis. It could also be um, a complete freak out. It could be uh, a divorce. It could be any, any trauma or suffering in your life that literally feels like every bit of you is being stripped away from your bones. It's almost like your skin is being peeled off and you're going through these experiences of transformation, like one after the other, after the other. And it's not just one incident. They seem to come in, you know, like I I describe them like waves, like just when you're recovering from, from a wave that's knocked you over, then another one comes. 
And so what we learned as, you know, a couple on this path and what, as we started to, to sort of see the landscape and understand that we were in this energy frequency that was not done with us. Like we were, we were in this and it was not going, not changing like tomorrow. What we discovered and what I was coaching you to do was to maintain your neutrality. Because I always say that your greatest power is in complete neutral, neutral, loving compassion, just very, very, very neutral. So what I learned is that if I could shorten my reaction or my resistance to any event that happened that I found distasteful or scary or, you know, unreasonable or whatever, that I, I could start to gain mastery over the experiences. Like at some level, at some expanded level, we were creating these experience for our own evolution for to, in order to become ourselves. And if we got the lesson and stopped the emotional freak out and the going to judgment and story, well, this means I'm a loser. This means, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to get kicked out of my house. This means all these negative things. The, the shorter the, the resistance you could get, the more in your mastery you would be. And then the events would stop happening. Or in fact, if they happen, you would be in that, in that state that you described, which you described it as surrender, but I would described it as detached observation, where you're watching the event happen to you, but you're not, you understand that you are not that event, you are not your life experiences and your emotions or your thoughts. You're not any of those things. So we suffered or we had so many intense experiences that it would alchemize us into that state. And I think that's what you were describing, that you would go, you would flip between the two. Yeah, and, but after a while, after you've been like beaten down with so many, you know, experiences like that, after a while, it doesn't phase you anymore. Like you sort of get war, you get like, like war weary or whatever. So there would be times where, you know, we're years into not paying our mortgage and, you know, I'd be walking through the house and just thinking, yeah, okay, well, whatever, you know, maybe we'll lose it. But I don't know, I think we're going to keep it somehow. Like, I'm going to go train now, mm -hmm. which seems weird, like to, nope. to, to be of that mindset to be because I, it's, it's almost like that adage of, you know, well, what is, you know, has worry ever solved any problem? Like, of course not. Like intellectually, we know anxiety, fear, worry, these things do not contribute productively to towards the resolution of any problem. Right. Or they and say the like human condition is to default to that state. Right. But, but if you could experience these situations, which are prone to causing people quite a bit of anxiety and to have a different experience with that, to be in that detached observational place, um, you can have a very different experience with it. And that neutrality, I think allows you to navigate it more fluidly and, uh, and, and in a way that you can make better decisions. And that doesn't mean it's going to work out in your favor, but <clears throat> I mean, in our case, it, it did ultimately, but not by virtue of any, any, any kind of like logical plan that we laid down that, that suddenly came to fruition. It was out of the blue. It was, it was something I could have never have been predicted or planned for. Right. Well, it had to be completely, um, we had to be completely detached to the outcome. So, um, and I would say that it will all work out for your benefit. It just might not look at look like what you think right, it's going to look like of course it's always good like you yeah want, like in your mind the way that you kind of scripted it right exactly it would always be that's something not, i can assure you that's not <laughs> exactly but i mean do you know the difference i mean yeah we say that you know praying or worrying is praying for what you don't want to happen right so that's what worrying is and would you say that you know now the difference between denial and surrender i think at its extremes, I do. At its at its you know at its polarities, I do. But I think as they they can they can start to move towards each other, and then it can get blurred. Well, and so how do you stay out of denial then? Uh, how do you stay out of denial? I mean, I think that's a constant um, practice of you know peeling away the you know the layers of your your personal onion, you know, and I think surrounding yourself with people that give you honest feedback on your behavior. Mm -hmm. I think there's a, there's a number of tools and practices that you can adopt to um, stay on top of 
uh, you know, not falling prey to denial. But I think we all carry around some level of denial. And your, you know, your life's path is about constantly trying to chip away at that. Well, I think it, yeah, that's, that's all true. I think that you, you know, you stay out of denial by looking at what is, you know, by not, by not, not looking at the situation. So, right. But when you are not of sound mind, your perception is broken. So for example, the natural disposition of the untreated alcoholic is a disease of perception. The prism through which you perceive the world around you uh, distorts reality. So what you believe to be reality is actually untrue. And then you act on that distorted perception as if it's real. And that's what causes you to make decisions that don't suit you and that are damaging to others, right? So the process of recovery, and I would say that this is equally applicable to spiritual growth, is to, is to constantly refine that prism so that the, the, the spectrum of light that enters your consciousness through your senses and through your extrasensory perception is as close to objective reality as possible. And isn't that what the practice of meditation is? It's only by being still, by quieting the mind, the chatter of the mind, the sort of, you know, cyclical, you know, whatever banter is going bouncing around in your head. When you can quiet that, you can actually see things as they are not as your perception chooses to alter them. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was a good speech by me, by the pretty good. It's pretty <laughs> awesome, actually. Um, and so how, how do you find surrender in your own life? How do I find surrender? Oh, man. That's a... That's a surrender is a, is a minute-to-minute thing. You know, my, my default is to be in self-will a hundred percent a thousand percent all the time so it's a constant process of like trying to remind myself that i'm not in control like the letting go and the surrender whether it's through chanting the serenity prayer in my car when i'm stuck in traffic or doing the morning meditation or you know getting out of myself to um be of service to another person just by picking up the phone or some other kind of simple act or any other number of contrary actions that are at odds with my default state, which is to be aggravated and discontent and tired and irritable and all these things that if, uh, if left to my own devices, I will certainly default to. So surrender for me, you know, in other words, letting go is, is a process of continual reminder that I'm not in charge. Right. Mm -hmm. And and the past experience, and this brings it back kind of full circle to the theme of this podcast, the way that I do that is I remember how I got here. Because it's not by virtue of my self-will that I was able to get sober. And it's certainly not by virtue of my self-will that we were able to weather our dismantling and achieve all the things that we have achieved because we didn't achieve them. There's something else at play. And I have to be reminded of that. And that requires taking my ego out of the equation and really understanding uh, and accepting and embracing the fact that, uh, that I'm just a channel for some other purpose, right? Definitely. And that requires, you know, so it's about, to, surrender requires humility. It requires, uh, you know, a, um, a squashing of the ego. And it requires uh, looking upon your life and your past with a greater degree of objective clarity than I typically would. Beautifully said, beautifully put. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, that's, it's been a, a real uh, privilege to be writing, rewriting some of these experiences, you know, that we had, um, because it's really bringing me back into the visceral day to day of what, what we signed up, what we contracted to do together and how we, endured over the many many years i mean it wasn't just a year it wasn't just three years i mean it was more than seven years babe i mean when i think of the sheer depth of that agreement between you and me to agree on of course our personalities never agreed but on our soul on our soul level to have entered into that journey it takes my breath away it really, really gives me pause. And I think uh, 
how, how greatly we are connected, how deeply we are connected. And I don't know of another person that I could have ever done that with, or that I would do that with again. And, you know, you and I were becoming during a time on the planet where uh, there wasn't that much frequency to support us. And that's why it took as long as it did. Today, if someone were to endeavor uh, to sort of jump off and find themselves, my instinct and my gut is that it would be a much shorter journey because the energy is, is increased and it's quickened and you can actually access these states in a much more facile and easier manner. Um, but, you know, I, I have people asking me, you know, I feel if, if you're going through what, what is called a dismantle and you feel like the energy is just, uh, I describe it as that the universal faucet is in the off position and that nothing in the structures of what is familiar to you is functioning any longer. So, you know, we used to make money in these certain ways and suddenly those channels are completely dry. They're completely shut off. Um, and if you're in that state, my best advice for you is to find what you love and do that. Make sure you do that because you're creating this vibration of, of joy and of beauty within your own energy field. And ultimately that will, uh, attract the right kind of energy to get you, um, into a place where you are eventually supported and you are eventually connected. Um, it's not easy. It's not, uh, certainly not for the weary and it takes commitment. And again, the first step of that is meditation. And so, um, and you know, not all of us are the same. I mean, Rich doesn't meditate the way that I do. And, you know, it was his training in those days that I think was that was getting him into a place of enough emptiness that he could, you know, receive more and more light. Um, but I think if, uh, if you're really blessed, you will have an opportunity to be dismantled at least once in your life. And I think it's important. You're wishing, you're wishing dismantlement. On yeah, people. absolutely. <laughs> well, absolutely. And I think uh, it's, it, it's not, it's definitely not a, beginner subject and it's not um you know it's why people say the warrior you know the spiritual path is not for the weary it's for the warriors because uh, a true healer really brings you down uh because uh, we're all living these identities of of these ego levels that are masking who we really are so if you really think about what is really powerful healing it's the thing that's going to bring you to your knees because that's where you're going to get real. Because if it's not, you're never going to go there. You're never going to really access that. If you're living in a modern world and, you know, you pretty much can, you know, run on automatic, you know, throughout your life. So, um, you know, doing what you love is a, is a, is a big key. And, and again, meditating and having the faith. And, you know, every day that I get out of bed, I, I lay my life down at the feet of something greater than I am. And every night that I go to sleep, I do the same thing. So reminding ourselves that we are spiritual beings having a human experience and reminding ourselves that we're only here by the grace of God. And so asking the questions, how can I serve better? How can I know myself better? How can I give more really to yourself first and then for to everybody else. Uh, I really advocate being very selfish. We really need a lot of self-care in our lives. We need to take the energy and, and really take care of our own being first so that we can be in a good position to help others a little bit further down the path. But, um, you know, being dismantled is a, is a beautiful, uh, raw, and uh, very poignant experience. And uh, I feel blessed to have gone down that path with you. Yeah, it was great. It was awesome all the time. No, it was not. <laughs> no. no, I'm just thinking like, who, if things are going well in your life, like everything, you're checking all the boxes and you're kind of like, a, you're one of those guys that like, you know, what do you call them? Uh, the terrific guys. Like super duper. Super dupers. When you say, how are you doing? And they're like, super duper. And they're always, 
great and you know they belong to the country club and they have the nice car and they got the beautiful kids and they all it, everything seems like it's just rocking you know like you don't really know what's going on with that person and that person is actually less likely to sign up to have their ego stripped away and 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 put in a position where they're compelled to kind of reckon with like who they are at their core somebody like that already has such profound like walls and barriers up to protect you know whatever it is that's going on inside the inner child or whatever you want to call it so you know it's not you you always say it but it's like it's not for the weak-willed or the faint-hearted it is it is a warrior's path and you know i wouldn't have chosen it if it wasn't foisted upon me it was like you know we were placed in a position where we were compelled to you know enter that wrestling match but it's not it's not it, you know, I'm not sure it's something I would have just said, hey, let's go check this out. Let's get let's get our asses kicked. And yeah, let's go. Know, like, you know let's go I mean? burn in the fire. It'll be great. So, yeah. you know, yeah. so so in terms of like wishing it upon someone like, yeah, it's this is how you grow and learn about yourself. But and that, that doesn't mean it's not painful or fun. But if you do find yourself in this situation, I think that the thing to do is to just throw yourself into it completely like stop resisting it and understand that it is an opportunity. Well, and I think also develop different perspectives about it. So again, just like every life experience, um, the, the more important than the actual experience is your relationship to the experience. And so I'm hoping by sharing our story and, and by writing even deeper about it, that I can share some of my you know, my perspectives that really held us up during the whole time. And it really was a perspective. And I had to separate myself from people who didn't, who didn't have my perspective, I had to keep a very, um, a very strong boundary around me so that I could uphold this spiritual perspective, I was on this, I was on that train. Mm -hmm. And I made sure that I reminded you and reminded the kids and reminded me you know, very frequently that that was what was at play, that this was not a bankruptcy or this was not just a financial collapse. This was a spiritual transformation of which that was a byproduct and that would pass and it would, there would come a moment where we would rise up as a family and we would serve. And so I did mention this to a couple people <laughs> and they thought, in the back of their mind, she is completely insane. Right. She's insane. Yeah. And, and just so the listeners kind of fully understand, you know, if anybody's like watched my YouTube videos, like they know what our house looks like. Like we live in this extraordinary house. Like there are very few people on planet earth that get to live, you know, such an extravagant, you know, lifestyle. So this is not about soliciting anybody's sympathy or pity, but just so we're very clear, uh, we, we were like the poorest rich people in the world because we were living in this house, but we couldn't pay our bills to like even keep the electricity on. And as I mentioned, we couldn't, we couldn't, you know, pay the garbage bill, which was only like 60 bucks a month or something it's like that. It's cheaper than that. It's half of to, that. To keep that going, right? We had cars repossessed. I remember when the Land Rover, when that, the orange Land Rover got repossessed and you brought the guy tea, like, and you had... You were talking about neutral, like sort of compassion and, and being the observer. Like you were so chill when that happened. You went out and you're like, hey, can I help you? All right, well, let us get our stuff out of the truck. Uh, do you need to use the bathroom? Like you were so kind and and uh, solicitous of him that he was like freaked out. Like he was not well, used to that. And so the point being that, yeah, you were treating this as like a test and as an experience to grow spiritually and you were detached from, you know, associating your emotional state with the hard facts of the economic reality, right? Whereas I was grappling with a lot of shame and fear and, you know, like, what are people going to think? We live in this house and we can't even do this or that. It's going to get pulled away from us. The biggest failure of my life. And you would joke about it, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I'm sounding repetitive, but there is just no rational argument why we would have ever been able to hang on to this house by every stretch of the imagination the bank was taking it away there was no reason for them not to you know and the fact that we're still here defies any logical explanation and so what i can conclude from that what i have to extrapolate when i look back on that and try to divine meaning is that 
there is some you know greater purpose at play. Like we have been allowed to stay here, not as owners, quote unquote, of this property, like this is something we own, but as stewards for a period of time. And that's why I think we've made this decision to cultivate community here because it really isn't our place. If we're gonna get to stay here by like the grace of God, we get to live here. So if we get to do that, we bet damn well better share it and use it for all of its, you know, everything that can be done here for the benefit of as many people as possible. It's true. I mean, it was always my dream and always my vision. And I always knew that. And that was one of the reasons why I just felt that, you know, I had to go in my meditation and sort of go to the scenario of, uh, you know, giving her to the bank and walking out. And I just, I couldn't do it. It was like, she was like one of my kids. I just, I couldn't even see it. I couldn't see that reality. And at one point during the time period, most of our appliances broke and I had four kids. So I had no washer, no dryer, no vacuum cleaner. Um, and uh, I was doing um, laundry and hanging them on a line outside. And I'm a horrible housekeeper, right, as I've said before. <laughs> but um, but uh, I would just get up and I would wash a wall. But while I washed that wall... I activated spiritual energy into my being and I, I infused the house with spiritual energy 24-7. I did meditations in the middle of the night, setting up a, an energetic grid around her, drawing energy from the mountain. And I mean, this has been many, 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 many years of these type of practices. Um, and at one of my first podcasts, actually on Divine Throughline, I shared the story where at the end, when I thought I was out of every single option, I wrote a love song for her, you know, Jai Home, which is the title track of my of my album, my second album. So again, it's like, um, there's a lot more going on in this life than the material. And there's a lot more um, power that we have in affecting our life and our experience. And you know, if you're not going to believe in your heart, then who is? Um, so it, it's it's spiritually aware for us to know ourselves and to step outside of the box and dream big and imagine a reality where something really unusual happens or miraculous happens or something that no one expected. The world is full of unexpected um, potential that can happen in everybody's life. And we are creating our own life as we go. So holding that awareness, a vision for yourself, a vision for your lover, a vision for your family, uh, against all appearances to the contrary, is what I would call Christ behavior in action. And when I talk about Christ, I talk about uh, a blueprint that's in every human being, where holding the highest vision for each other is one of the highest acts that we can ever offer. And I held that for Rich, I held that for myself, and I held that for my children as well. And I held that for this home. So it was funny because my friend uh, Saul Ray, who's an amazing yoga teacher and dear friend of mine and been a great source of support for me and tenderness over many of those years, um, he came to visit me once and walked in and he, he laughed. He had never been here and he said, Srimati, this is a great place to be in poverty. <laughs> and so really, when you looked at it, um, I have some uh, cousins of, of my boy's father um, uh, there, Jim and, and Ted Pyatt and Tim Pyatt. And they're, you know, they're older men now. They're in their 70s and 80s. And um, they said to me when they heard that I received the modification uh, and the sort of the details of the scenario, they giggled and they said, Julie, your meditation was extremely uh, lucrative because if you if you account for you know all of that, all of those years and and the outcome, um, in fact, you know you could you could make a, a good argument for my meditation practice and how it it fruited uh, a benefit in our life and support in our lives. So again, we've been extremely blessed to be here, and even when we had nothing, there was always something. There was always a bag of potatoes. There was always a shampoo dropped off from the neighbor, neighbor or maybe a bundle of cash that somebody brought by. Um, I remember one Christmas, we didn't have any money, and a really dear friend of ours, actually, Ram, Ram Bada from Ascended Health, 
he brought us a, a wad of cash and a gold bag so we could buy our kids some Christmas presents. Mm. Just so much beauty from so many people that shared so much with us and shared their hearts with us. And uh, uh, we, we feel blessed. And to be here now sharing as a family and uh, creating our heart's deepest, most authentic desires is a deep privilege. And one that is uh, waiting for all of us as we authentically connect to the original blueprint of who we really are. So I always say, please do be more of who you are because we need you exactly as you were created in the original divine blueprint. So anyway, um, thanks Rich for coming on the show and for sharing your experience around the dismantle. And um, it was a, an honor and a privilege to serve with you and to love you along that journey. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Proud of you for starting this podcast and I'm blessed to have you in my life. I love you, babe. So this was great. Thanks, sweetie. I hope you'll come back soon. Namaste. Namaste, darling. If you're feeling some healing and you like what you hear, please do donate and support the show. We greatly appreciate all the support and all the love we've been getting from all you guys. You can go to the iTunes page for Divine Throughline and click the website link, which will take you directly to PayPal. You can also go to my website, trimati.com, and you can find a link to donate on the podcast page. Thanks so much for all of that. And if you enjoy the conversation between Rich and me and the energy that we share as a couple, we wanted to let you guys know about our relationship course that we recently created on Mind Body Green. Um, it's a couple hours of expert advice on how to be in relationship and how to actually cultivate the inner marriage, which then uh, results in a deeper, more intimate intimate connection with your partner or lover. Uh, so we're really proud of that. It's available now on mindbodygreen.com. Go there and search uh, Rich and My Name under the uh, courses and you will find it there. So thanks so much and namaste. I hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you uh, next time. If you'd like to get in touch with Rich, you can find him at richroll.com. Also at richroll on Twitter and Instagram. Check out his YouTube channel and uh, connect with him there. He's making videos every week and uh, he's got a lot to share, a lot of amazing stuff going on in his life. Uh, so if you don't know him or haven't connected with him or his amazing podcast, the Rich Roll podcast, uh, you can subscribe on iTunes. He has over... I guess, 400 hours of long format interviews with amazing individuals from all different walks of life. Um, he truly is a master at uh, interviewing and connecting with people and uh, getting really the raw and vulnerable parts of them uh, to come out during the interview. So um, anyway, check him out and uh, we'll see you soon. Namaste. It's been a long, hard road down